Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour Extra Bits, our little gift to you podcast subscribers. This week, we meet drag queen Amru Al-Khadi. They talk about their life growing up in an Iraqi Muslim household and their new book, Memoir of a Muslim Drag Queen. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four! I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I could be a really sparkly, shiny unicorn. We don't actually have a sparkly, shiny unicorn in the studio with us, but we do have Natalie's dogs that (laughs) are making a bit of noise, so just bear with us. (laughs) Um, uh, We also have somebody who is pretty much a sparkly unicorn. Fantastic, Amru Al-Khadi, welcome to the studio. Hi, I'm so disconcerted (laughs) by these wailing puppies. So okay, well, they're gonna they're gonna be totally happy in two minutes time. Um, Amory, thank you so much for joining us. If anyone who doesn't know you or know of you, tell us a little bit about what you do. Um, I'm a writer, performer, and filmmaker. Um, I'm a drag queen by the name of Glamru. I used to <laughs> run a drag. I started a drag troupe called Denim almost a decade ago. Um, and now I'm mostly working as uh, a drag performer and screenwriter for TV and film. But in terms of the drag that I do, I really like looking at kind of positive uh, visual interpretations of the Middle East. I like dressing like sort of basically I like dressing like my mum, to be honest, and just <laughs> almost um, kind of making really powerful queer images about the Middle East because those are obviously so not what we see in the mass media especially. I've got a solo show coming up in January called Glamroo from Quran to Queen (laughs) um, which is a sort of rom-com between me and Allah. (laughs) The best sort. (laughs) If you're going to love, love a god. Um, So tell us a little bit about, well tell us about your mum. So what is your mum like? My mum is more of a drag queen than I am, to be honest. <laughs> She's sort of, I suppose, besides me, the kind of main character of, of the memoir. And it's, I suppose, a kind of love story between me and her. She is a, con- a conservative sort of woman who was raised in Iraq in a Muslim household. So she sort of had to conform in, um, you know, in many, many ways. But she's also an incredibly melodramatic, um, sort of Almodovarian <laughs> camp woman <laughs> who, when before sort of... Can I swear? No. no. Okay. <laughs> Good, thank you for telling me. Um, before Beep hit the fan, um, we were incredibly close. So before kind of my sexuality and gender identity were sort of developing and becoming a problem 
in the Middle East, you know, my brother was hanging out with my dad and I would, you know, help my mum choose dresses and she is so, so camped. I mean, I, there's loads of it in the book, but like, for instance, she, she had to come to a school picnic once and she thought she needed to wear something that was suitable for a British picnic. <laughs> so she came in cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. And so we were very, very close. And then unfortunately when you know i started to display a lot of kind of very visible differences and was just behaving in a way that i don't think anyone in the family or community were used to because she's a mother and a woman in a quite a patriarchal society i think she sort of thought it was her job to make sure that i towed the line in a way that writing the process of the book made me realize that I was mostly always angry at my mum but actually maybe she was under her own pressures to be a good mum because I because actually in Islam as well if your kid goes to hell so does your mother right for failing you um so in a way my mum was the one who was policing my identity the most and trying to get me to toe the line in all kinds of extreme ways but actually, you know, I'm nearly 30 now and through the process of writing the book and really sort of just almost rethinking my life and also understanding my mum as her own person, which mm-hmm. is quite a remarkable thing when you're a kid and you, you realise that your parents are people outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also yeah. just doing, she's just doing her best yes. really, isn't she? Yeah, she and is. Do you have any contact with her now? Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, okay. that's sort of how the book finishes and it kind of explains, I don't want to give it away. But we 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 have we have um we have a a kind of it's it's complicated because as I said we were really really close and then I kind of just said you know I'm not part of this family anymore you guys just do not understand me and mm. went on my own path and you know became a drag queen and just said whatever the hell was in my mind and they that really upset them. Um, and they did a lot in their power to kind of try and stop it. And because, you know, but now that I'm sort of very financially independent and my career is going well and I am just confident in myself, you know, I basically said to them, it's sort of your choice not to see me rather than my choice because I'm actually Mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. And then after about six months after I said that, she got in touch and said, I can't do this. Yeah, Mm. yeah. It's complicated. I mean, we have no fly zones in conversation. So it'll be like, what are you working on? I'm like, oh, I'm writing this TV series at the moment. What's it about? And I just say, you don't want to know. Okay, great. (laughs) So she hasn't seen your drag act then? No, 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 no. But but we do, there's an anecdote about this in the book where we had to go to this tropical themed party for a cousin's wedding. (laughs) And she called me and she was like, I don't know where in London to get a Copacabana hat. <laughs> and she sort of said, do you know where I could, like, where, where I could get one? And I said, oh, you know, I'll have a think. I don't know. But actually, like, I knew a milliner who made many hats that I'd humped the floor in. <laughs> like, so I was like, oh, I'll see. So I called my friend and said, pretend you don't know me and we're coming to your studio. <laughs> kind of walked around and, you know, and there was it was all sort of unsaid, but, there was a reason she called me because yeah. she obviously knew that I'd worn Copacabana hats and <laughs> in my in shows. So there are, you know, it's not ideal, but in the context of our relationship, it's good, if that makes sense. Mm. So 
Not everyone goes on a journey and writes about it and puts it front and centre. Why? Mm. Why, indeed. Um, many reasons. Three reasons. Mm. First reason is um, when I started sort of writing about just issues for lots of different publications. I mostly had a, a sort of was doing a column every two weeks for The Independent for about two years, mm -hmm. which I really, really enjoyed and I appreciated that platform a lot. And it was sort of part of the reason that I was able to, you know, get a book mm -hmm. deal. But what I was finding quite frustrating was you always had to have a news peg to every column you mm -hmm. write. Mm -hmm. And because The Independent is mostly all white commissioners and, you know, they would often come to me when there needed to be a comment piece on, you know, a terrorist mm -hmm. attack or whenever there needed to be a comment mm -hmm. on, you know, a homophobic attack. Mm -hmm. And after two years, I was like, oh, God, you know, I sort of feel that my identity has been really reified and really just sort of um, kind of tokenized for, the, for, for, for kind of the liberal media. Mm -hmm. And so... I was like, well, I'd quite like to just write about my experiences without having to argue them. Mm -hmm. Because part of what happens as well in the mass media is when minorities are brought on, it's often to defend your position. So, you know, should trans people be allowed to, you know, and it's just like, <laughs> that's not the best place for a trans person to start. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it was like, oh, I just want to do this, write this without anybody shouting back at me besides, you know, the voices in my head. But, so there was that. The second reason was, on a probably quite narcissistic reason, I, with your own relationships, especially the one with my mum, but also just, sorry, the, the, what my own relationship with, whether it was myself, it's a bit like a hand on your face. It's a bit hard to see sometimes. And I was, so I kind of wanted to give myself the task of like, lay out your life so you could actually understand the good and the bad. So it was like a process of catharsis and actually of forgiveness of myself, mm -hmm. of my mother. And by virtue of having to write my mum as a character, because and I, you have to treat every character with love and respect, even though they're doing mm -hmm. things that you don't agree with. I know that from screenwriting, especially. You can't, as the writer, just say, this character is a villain. You kind of have to just say, well, they love themselves or they, you know. So mm -hmm. actually by just writing my mum, by the end of it, I was like, oh, you have your own story going yeah. on. Yeah. Um, which, and then the third reason, I just wanted to make a book that I wish I'd had growing up. Because yeah. you spent two years at Eton, yes. didn't you? Yeah. Where were you on your kind of like drag journey <laughs> or like, you know, your, your, you know your, your personal journey, I guess, when you're at Eton, which again is a very difficult environment yeah. to, to really be yourself. I, I imagine, I mean, I've never been it, to Eton. Is it, was but it like, easier to be yourself at was Eton? It? Um, yeah. Well, that's sort of the kind of, one of the sort of, I, I hope, surprises of the book was essentially, I think Eton for me was actually a form of drag because <laughs> being a drag king, um, because <laughs> what what I had was, because it's my Islamic religion, but also my family, I was feeling so like, uh-oh, this is not going to work for my sexuality. I need to get out. And so what I did was I just basically in my head was like, Islam, Arabs, bad. I need to go to the opposite of that. Yeah. And I literally was like, 
I'll go to Hogwarts. You know, just like, <laughs> it, that's genuinely what I thought. Like, I'd watched Harry Potter a lot and I reference a lot of Harry Potter in the book. So I'll just go to Hogwarts and I'll just... Were you going to reinvent yourself when yeah, you went there? Well, I did you? reinvent. Yeah. I literally, yeah. like, became a British aristocrat right? and would sort of walk around saying, like, hey, governor, how's molasses? <laughs> and all that stuff. And would... And, pretended to be Christian and even tried to join the chapel choir. And then when they asked me to prepare a hymn, I sang All I Want for Christmas is You. I love it. <laughs> that classic. That classic. So, but yeah, but so, but, but it wasn't right for me. But I think I was just so desperate for something somewhere I could belong. And I just thought, well, Britannia will do, but <laughs> it didn't do. We are going to keep talking belonging with Amru here on Badass Women's Hour XL. And particularly, we're going to talk about just why you're so obsessed with marine biology. Okay. Yes. The vampire strikes back. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Badass Women's Hour XL. We are talking to Amral Al-Khadi about their new book, Unicorn, the memoir of a Muslim drag queen uh, and their life growing up in the UK. Amral, you say, um, in the kind of blurb to the book, you say, fluid aquatic life helped me understand my non-binary gender identity. How did fish help with this? (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so here it is. I was 13 at the time and... I would definitely realised I was gay, but was also becoming quite aware that I just wasn't... Being a man wasn't right for me. And I was walking home from school one day and I walked past this marine aquatic sort of stockist. called It was called Tropical and Marines. And I just was hypnotised by marine life because it was so sort of fluid and formless and just things, you know, if you watch a starfish or an octopus, you know, they just are not restricted at all by by colour, shape. And actually a lot of fish aren't restricted by sex either. When a male dies, one of them will just 
become female and they'll just sort of change. And I just was like, I think because my home was such a scary place and school was a scary place, I was like, I want to go there. So I really did. I did a Duke, I took up Duke of Edinburgh. Of course, the most useless thing did not help with my university <laughs> application at all. Um, took up a Duke of Edinburgh so I could do aquarium keeping. I got a job at this marine stockist every weekend and all holidays for about four years wow and then i yeah well i was just i I especially i suppose at that age when you know you feel so worthless or you're Mm. really going "Uh oh you want to find something you're good at Mm. that you're an expert at you know i knew the latin names of like every coral Mm. and you know would be able to sell the most rare fish to customers and i then had my own fish at home and it was a real place I think where I saw myself, I honestly think I saw myself more in in the creatures in the tank than in my home. So that's sort of what that chapter is about. So you use the pronouns there, um, there and they, mm-hmm. don't you? Because um, I just want to talk to you about that. Because recently Sam Smith came yeah. out with saying the same that he just wants to be known by those pronouns, and it got us kind of thinking about then when you have things like the Brit Awards. And you have like the male and yeah. female categories. Whether we need to do away with kind of like awarding male and female, like where do we go with awards if we were trying to be more gender fluid and gender inclusive? Before you answer that, the Booker—that's it's just any book, right? There isn't. Yeah. And the Man Prize. Yes. So you're, the you're... Man Prize is aptly named. The man. Yeah. I mean, this is the, the kind of query around it, right? Which is that if you do what we've discovered is if there isn't a specific category for women, they don't win the awards. Well, but I was just before you answered it, I was about to say, but you're fine in because in with the book, oh, you true. don't have you essentially you don't have yeah. to conform to any specific category. Yeah. But back to your question. I mean. On IMDb, the sort of movie base, <laughs> they just cannot categorize. I know it just from watching producers that I work with try and upload actors onto casts. They just cannot do male or female. That's the sort of only. Oh, that platform. Yeah. Not, okay. I think maybe, the, yeah. maybe they've changed it. Who knows? Yeah. But yeah. even when I was, you know, looking at it a year ago. Um, and I do take your point very much about the reason that there are, because I really do believe, for instance, in all women's shortlists, yeah. because we need to level up, mm-hmm. you know, and I do believe in all people of colour, mm-hmm. sort of, I was on a filmmaking course, which was for only people of colour, and there was all this backlash against it. It was at the BFI like three years ago. And, you know, we just had to say, well, only like 3% of filmmakers are people of colour. So we need to kind of do this positive discrimination. I do find it odd, I will say, that there is a female actor award and a male actor award as if it's like they have to be... be, And I find the whole setup so gendered. Um, And music too, do you think? To be honest, it's not something I've given a huge amount of thought to, to be honest, but... I personally don't, I think I would like, I think there should be a way, I think by going for genre a lot more, yeah. maybe best, mm. you know, best pop artist or best, you know, be, you know, I think that is so much more exciting. Yeah. Then obviously one would have to monitor. Yeah. 
it's almost like we want to get to that gender fluid place, right, where we just have awards that are not for any particular sector. It was just for the best thing, but it's just, yeah, they're getting there. Yeah, yeah. I feel, but I feel like the problem is, is like by having an all-male category or an all-female category, if you're a person who's assigned yeah. male at birth and you try and be a music artist, you might already be beginning to homogenize and conform yourself mm. so that you could look a bit more like Ed Sheeran or mm. a bit more. And if you actually think about Sam Smith, they, when, yeah. you know, their initial career, you know, I, and I wonder, like, oh, were you trying to maybe conform to what mm-hmm. the Brit Awards say is yeah, a good yeah. male artist? Mm-hmm. And actually just from seeing their posts recently, it's so clear how dysphoric they were mm. and how it's yeah. only now that they've sort of got a platform that they've been able to go, oh, this is who I really am. Mm. So... I think it does pose interesting questions about what those kind of categories force you to do subconsciously. You know, even the like best female actor category is quite like a, the the way they do it, I think is it's so like, and now we're going to do this very feminine moment where Mm -hmm. like, we're all going to be, you know, and I just feel like I wonder how many, how many actresses or actors who are female feel that they've got to conform to an idea of being Mm -hmm. an actress or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How has it changed your life identifying as non-binary? Um, it, it's been very... I'd say whenever someone uses my they pronouns, it's a bit like having a lavender bath. <laughs> it's just It just relaxes you. Because it's like, oh, you don't... You're not gendering me and you're not seeing me in a way that I don't understand myself. So I just find it really relaxing. Wow. That's it's powerful, that, isn't it? That's that, that, all it is. That word change can well, just have such a good reaction. And for me, he has been such a punishment my whole life because right, I was yeah. born in a you know a way where it's like you have got to be. And you know, I have a twin brother who's very male and very straight, and we are close. But for me, he was just this failing, and I just cannot. When I hear it, I'm like, oh god, right. I tense up. Yeah. And I will say to a lot of people who who say, oh god, you know, what am I going to call you next? You know, table chair. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, people every day use the they pronoun yeah. Yeah. Um, for a all single person all the time. Yeah. If I was like, oh, I'm about to see my friend, you'd be like, oh, where are they? Yeah, yeah, it's true. And that's because yeah. you, haven't, you don't know their gender. And you yeah. actually don't know anyone's gender until they yeah. tell you. Yeah. So I think all the sort of people having a moral panic about it. <laughs> all the fragile people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Piers Morgan, hello. <laughs> God, I hate him. Yeah, <laughs> don't we all? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, you said you wrote the book because you wanted, if there was any kid out there like you at your age, you wanted to give them something that they could read and be like, oh, okay, mm. it's not just me. There is, there's light at the end of the tunnel. What would you go back and tell your younger self if you could? I would tell them that, I mean, this is a major part of the book, but I was very self-punishing growing up sort of my childhood was just terror to be honest and I developed a very kind of severe form of OCD which was because basically in Islam and there's lots of good parts of Islam as well by the way and I also talk about that in the book but mm. I'll just talk about the, the my negative experience was you get taught to count sins on your left shoulder and good deeds on your right and sins could be accrued really quite quickly like upside down footwear was an insult to Allah, you get a sin. So I was like tallying them up. You know, I had, you know, 50 million to two, you know, and then when I started, you know, fantasizing about 
having sex with Robin Hood. It was like... (laughs) So like, and even chiropractors have a much harder time adjusting my left side. Really? Yeah. Wow. So for for me, so what that happened, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I've got so many sins. I need to catch up with good deeds. So I had to get 100% in absolutely every single piece of homework. If I got 99%, I would maybe not eat for four days as punishment. Wow. If I got like, I mean... Even getting the even getting second place at university would just destroy me, mm. and so what? I, and unfortunately, that has led to such bad perfectionism and, and and too much drive in the sense that like, if a show goes great and it's got a standing ovation, but someone's coughing during the ovation, I'd be like, they hate me, you know. So I would probably just go back and be like, it's not your fault. Relax, mm-hmm. in you know. That's what I would do. Do you feel more relaxed now, though? Do you feel like that that OCD or that that perfectionism side of you is softer now? You're able to be yourself. It's it it, it is softer, partly because of antidepressants, <laughs> right? Okay. And a lot of therapy and yeah. like a lot of it's just there. Though. Yeah, you know. But in in that kind of way, I think when you with CBT or mental health, I feel like if you try and get rid of something. That's a battle. You almost have to become yeah. friends with it. Yeah, yeah. and igno- yeah, but yeah. having the awareness, acknowledge it? what it gives you, and yeah. acknowledge what and it's it takes given away, me and yeah, great, great. Because people have always been like, "Your yeah. work ethic." I don't mm. understand how you, mm-hmm. and I'm just there. Oh well, it's trauma. Yeah, it's yeah. trauma. <laughs> but it's now about every now and then, I will go home from this interview and go, "What did I say wrong? What did I say wrong?" Mm. But five years ago, that would have consumed me, and I wouldn't have been able to sleep. Mm. And now I can go, okay shush now yeah i'm gonna go get a drink and it is there yeah. Yeah. but it's just like you do you tonight and yeah. I'm, I'm gonna you know try and find a husband thank you so much for coming Thanks in for and chatting me. to us it's been absolutely delightful no. unicorn the memoir of a muslim drag queen is out now and it is beautiful and funny and brave and wonderful so do go buy it one two three four this has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 